your fellow redeemer. We consider especially our gospel lesson from the gospel of Matthew chapter 18. And as we begin, um, the first thing you probably realize is that, as with nearly every parable of Jesus, the exact reason why he tells it is a point of the law to demonstrate his, um, his law to those Pharisees who are disregarding it. He's demonstrating his law, especially here, to those who would um, set up conditions for forgiveness. But this parable in particular, and there are a few that would compare to it, this parable in particular also serves to highlight the truth of the gospel. You know that, that term, gospel. We use it a lot, and usually we reduce it down to its simplest form, um, Jesus died for you to take away your sins. There's much more to it than that. There's also the gospel that that message is brought to your life through holy baptism and brought to your life again through the Lord's Supper as you join in common union or communion around this table here. But anyway, Jesus tells this parable in part to highlight the beauty, the depth, the value of that gospel message. And as you look at it, you can kind of read through it and you start doing a little bit of math. And if you start from the back end, 100 denarii, that's about four months of work. So your next uh, four paychecks, if you get paid monthly, or eight paychecks, if it's twice a month, or nine, whatever your schedule happens to be. But you can figure out the next four months of paychecks coming your way and saying, wow, well, I could really, um, I could really enjoy life a little bit more. I wouldn't have to budget quite so carefully if that person had paid me back. Four months of income, that's, that's something. But where the tables turn, the guy had been called in front of that, um, that king, that master, because he owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is over a trillion dollars. And so if you think of a trillion, <laughs> Cover the entire United States in ping-pong balls, a layer of ping-pong balls, the entire United States to a depth of three feet. Paint one of them red, blindfold somebody and say, okay, go wherever you want, we'll drop you there, pick up a ping-pong ball, and that one red ping-pong ball is the one in a trillion. That's about how much money this guy owes back. Not four months of wages, but over a trillion dollars. And the chances of him paying that back are, are astronomically um, minuscule, obviously. There's no way that, that anybody would be able to generate enough value to be able to pay that back. We don't know how he got himself in that predicament in the first place. That's something else entirely. But Jesus tells us this parable to highlight the beauty, the depth, the value of his gospel. Of his gospel. And so the issue here, the issue here is that we need to see ourselves, first of all, as these trillion dollar people. These trillion dollar people who have a debt that is beyond our repaying. And only, only when we stand in the sandals of that man before his master, only when we stand in the sandals 
of Moses at the burning bush, or only when we stand alongside the brothers before Joseph, Joseph, the second most powerful man in the world. Only then do we begin to grasp the enormity of what is normally outside of our vision, normally outside of our perception, that the debt I owe to God is far more than an eternity would pay for. And the same is true for you. And it doesn't really matter that you or I were simply born into this world and we were born in sin and we had no choice in the matter. It's true, you have no spiritual free will. There's no such thing. But that is simply distraction and subterfuge to distract away from the reality. Because the reality is enormous. It sounds intimidating and is too much to handle. And only with that kind of a setting uh, where God says, okay, there's an entire country covered in ping pong balls, and if each one is a dollar, that's how much you owe me. <laughs> only with that kind of a setting do we begin to see the relationship between the servants. And we begin to see the point that Jesus is making here. That the issue, the issue is that servant did not, did not understand, comprehend, or treasure that forgiveness that had been given to him free of charge. Is it possible that the same thing might happen among Christians? Well, yes. <laughs> I guess I, I asked the question because it's an obvious answer. Is it possible that, that Christians would have a grudge about something that is, um, is a big deal in their life? But in the whole cosmic scheme of things, of eternity and the fellowship that we share, it's less of a big deal. Is it possible that somebody um, has, has hurt you deeply? And even though you want to forgive, you say, but how can I? Is it possible that, that this person who has hurt you is somebody that you don't even have the ability to reconcile with anymore? Maybe they've, they've passed away. Maybe they've moved away. Maybe they don't talk to you. Not only possible, but we could all probably think of at least somebody. And so Jesus takes us by the hand. And he doesn't just lead us to see his law application. His law application being um, if we are people who hold, hold grudges and make it personal. And I'm going to hold on to this because I don't like them and they need to make it right. That if we were people who were to hold grudges and say, you know what, I'm going to exact my pound of flesh when and how I can, then we are no worse and no better than the servant with his hands around a fellow servant's neck. But as we look at this, I think... I think if we focus primarily on that gospel message of the master to the servant, we'll begin to understand this and tease it out just a little bit more. That the issue isn't some, some mental willpower thing of I need, to, I need to find a way to make my heart right so that I feel forgiveness toward that person. It's not some um, purely emotional thing, as if, if I simply console myself with what I have accomplished, then I can finally say, I've been successful enough without their help, and I didn't need those four months of paychecks anyway. 
because both would avoid the offense. And so if we look at what the Master says, look what the Master says. Verse 27, the Master that served had pity on him, released him, and forgave him his debt. And we look at what the Master says, that the Master says, you are welcome into the presence of God. That, how do we put it? That Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose from the dead to guarantee your forgiveness. And because of his life, death, and resurrection, you are forgiven. Your sin has been atoned for. Your guilt has been washed away. And that is your actual guilt before God, not simply your um, emotional baggage that you carry. And I think when we consider the way the Master talks and the message that he gives, this can go wrong in... Um, one major way that kind of splits. It's something that we call legalism. So legal has to do with law. Ism is um, an inordinate focus. Um, and if it ends in an ism, especially in church terms, it's a bad thing. So legalism, an inordinate focus on God's law. Too much of a focus on God's law. And doesn't that creep into the way Christians think about forgiveness? Because we understand enough of God's law and enough of God's gospel to say, but Pastor Hagen, it's not right of me to declare to somebody their forgiveness when they are still um, continuing in their sin. Pastor Hagen, it's not right of me to declare somebody's forgiveness if they are still holding on to their sin, if they are still saying it's not a big deal, if they have no attempt to reconcile with me. Legalism, an inordinate focus on God's law. And what does that do? It says, you need to make this right before I'm going to let God change my heart. You see the hands on the throat. Pay, you back, pay me back what you owe me. You need to make this right before I am going to let God change my heart. Yes, there is, there is an element of... Um, of God actually accomplishing this forgiveness. And there's a world of difference between recognizing and pointing out sin for what it is, and then sitting back to say, you know what, God will remedy that in his due time. But the way that this kind of plays out is that either, either we see on one hand that Jesus has won forgiveness for all sins, and so therefore Christians need to be loving, and so therefore I need to pretend that it doesn't hurt me at all, and that it wasn't a real offense. And that's the first path. An inordinate focus on God's law wants to say, you know what, God says I have to forgive, so I'm just going to pretend like nothing is ever wrong, like nothing has ever hurt me, and there's no obligation to speak up and correct the wrong. The other side, the idea that forgiveness only happens, forgiveness only happens when there is a, a life change. That I can only say something if and when you have made a change. That, that idea, that I need to announce your forgiveness to you, but only after only after you have made your change. 
And so those are, those are the two basic paths that we're talking about here. Um, the paths that focus on God's law, even as we look at and we consider what the master does and what the master says. The first idea, saying that you need to pay me back. The second idea, I don't need to forgive. And what are we to do? What does it look like? And right through the middle, Jesus cuts with his, with his word to say, you know what, you can, you can acknowledge and you can say what is the spiritual reality between that person and God. Because here's the, here's the whole idea, is that for the Christian, uh, the Christian idea of forgiveness is announcing what things are between them and God and then letting God handle the rest. The Christian idea of forgiveness can say, you know what, you hurt me. It was wrong. And it wasn't just wrong because you hurt my feelings, but it was actually sinful against me. And that's a dangerous place to be. But I'm not going to hold a grudge. But I do want you to know that between you and God, if you are the one who continues in this, that's not an attitude of faith. That even though Jesus has died for the sins of all people, that you can forsake that forgiveness through your continued willful sin, through your unwillingness to reconcile. That even though Jesus died and rose to pay for all sins, and even, yes, your own sin of hurting me has been taken care of, at the same time, you will forfeit that forgiveness if you continue as you are. And I, as the Christian, I'm going to just write it off, and maybe, maybe there is some sort of a legal recourse that would eventually work its way through, depending on what the harm was. But at the end of, of the day, the Christian can say, you know what, I've done my part, as far as it depends on me, to make things right. And I'm not going to hold their sin against them, because I know that I have a God who did not hold mine against me. And on the other side, that side that, that um, at the same time demands some sort of a life change. Well, I'll forgive you if. Conditional forgiveness. Not really forgiveness, is it? Conditional forgiveness that says if you do A or B or C, if you make it right, if you pay me back, then I will forgive you. No, that's just a transaction. That's just a payback. That's not actually forgiveness. The other side, instead of, um, the other side says, you know what, I'll forgive you. And it is a real thing. And I'll forgive you not because um, you have paid me back or you haven't. Because I want you to know that I'm not going to hold it against you. And I do earnestly want you to change so that you don't forfeit the blessings that Jesus has won for you. But at the same time, you know what, I'm going to live my life. I have a God who watches out for me. And in effect, it ends up kind of being the same thing. That here is the servant before his master. Here's the servant before his master, and he's got a trillion dollar debt to pay. Is there any chance? No, not at all. Throwing him in prison won't do it. Creating the next Microsoft that won't do it. 
but the master instead. Even though he had full right to imprison that man for all eternity, the master said, Dear Christian, your sin is forgiven. Let us not take that announcement of forgiveness too lightly. That announcement of forgiveness that Jesus, yes, he died for the sins of the whole world, and the, the um, historical reality of his resurrection is your guarantee of forgiveness. And it's the guarantee that the sins of all people have been uh, expunged, washed away, atoned for. But that, at the same time, that forgiveness is forfeited through unbelief. That God has, has made that forgiveness available only through faith. Only through faith and not through, not through works of the law. That is to say, not through your own action that will somehow say, you know what, I'm going to make it right and then God will forgive me. I'm going to make it right and then I will feel forgiven. No. The reality of the grace of our God is that he took the place of the trillion-dollar man. That he took the place of the trillion-dollar debtor. So that he would have somebody here today to announce forgiveness to every trillion-dollar man, woman, and child. Amen. <laughs>